when, when our son Tommy was seven years old, right? Seven, seven years, seven years old. Uh, we lived in New Orleans and he played on the city soccer team. Now, soccer is not what first springs to mind when you meet my son. Now, he is athletic, but, but he's built like a monster truck. That was true then as it is now. Um, and this was his first experience with soccer. And Shree and I are on the sidelines um, holding like bags of orange slices, which is what you do. And we're cheering for him and the team. And lo and behold, he gets the ball somehow. I say somehow because at that age, if you don't know soccer, you're more interested in dandelions. But he gets the ball and he breaks away and goes three quarters of the length of the center of the field. And this takes a while because my son will never be mistaken for a gazelle, right? And everybody is going crazy. Both sides of the stands are up and they're waving their arms and they're screaming. They're calling his name. The players and the coaches are yelling and, and the goalie, the poor goalie is running scared. Right? Because he sees this thing coming at him. And he scores! His one and only goal in his lifetime in soccer. There's only one problem. He was going the wrong way. He was going to the wrong goal. And so I say God's concern. I'm paraphrasing the great Howard Hendricks when I say God's concern. And mine is not that you would fail, but that you would succeed at the wrong things. God's concern in mine is not that you would fail. It's that you and I would succeed at the wrong things. See, if you and I don't Listen closely to Jesus and make it our life's purpose to do what he tells us to do. Then, then you and I may succeed or fail at our goals, but it doesn't really matter. Because what we succeed or fail at is not what really does matter. It's the wrong things you may score only to realize that like my son, you were heading to the wrong goal. You had your eyes on the wrong target. And succeeding at the wrong things is what breaks marriages. It's what breaks families. It's what breaks uh, workplaces. It's what breaks teams. It's what breaks colleges. It's what breaks communities. It's what breaks churches. It's what breaks lives, yours and mine. So this is of incredible importance during the next two weeks today and, and, and a week from today. I'm going to be talking about counterfeit faith. Is the faith, and we're going through the gospel of Luke, we talk about what God talks about, right? As often as he talks about it. And the next two passages that we're going to look at, look at counterfeit faith. And is the faith that you and I have real or counterfeit? Now, you and I don't really know whether our faith is real or counterfeit until we go to spend it, right? Until we try to put it out there and it doesn't work, right? It doesn't work. It doesn't change us. It doesn't change others. It doesn't change our families. It doesn't move mountains. It doesn't change the world. And so when that happens, you and I have a tendency to get real defensive and we blame things. Maybe we blame God, right? 
When our counterfeit faith doesn't work, we, we tend to blame God. I mean, maybe he's not the kind of God that, that I thought he was. Or, or we blame the church, right? Because it's as broken as the broken people who are in it. Or we blame our circumstances. But the real question is, do you and I have a faith that is counterfeit or real? That is the question that will answer whether or not you and I will succeed at the right things or the wrong things. Now, last week, when we were here, we took a look at the fact that Jesus had a throwdown with a religious leader, right? It was the ruler of the synagogue. And if you were not here, um, I encourage you to take a look, take a listen to the podcast. It's called Now is the Time. It's on Gunnison Bethany. Say it with me. Dot com. Yes, thank you. Not leave me hanging. Dot com. So if you go there, you can listen to it. Here's what happened um, in kind of a nutshell. Jesus goes to uh, the synagogue on the Sabbath and he's preaching. And in the congregation, there is a woman there who has been suffering physically under a spiritual Uh, burden that has a physical manifestation that folds her in half. She is bent over for like 18 years and Jesus heals her in the most beautiful way. You got to, you got to hear about that because he wants to heal you in that way. But the leader of the synagogue goes ballistic over this. And here's essentially what he says. Look, this place is open six days a week for healing. But on the Lord's day, we're closed for healing, okay? You come back one of those other days. Really? The fact that he doesn't see the irony in that is just kind of mind-blowing. But since he is to represent God, and he's giving God a bad name, Jesus comes back at him and, and just kind of uncorks and says, You're a hypocrite. Man, you have animals that you treat better than the people that I've called you to love, that I created you to love. And, and so what that tells us is that some of the people like you and like me and like this religious leader who hang around synagogues and churches the most can still have counterfeit faith. So we need to look. And then Jesus follows that by telling two quick stories about what life can be like in the faith community for you and for me. So we're going to take a look at that. And then we're going to give you six ways, six checkpoints to check your faith, to examine your faith, to see whether it's real or counterfeit or part of it is needs to be traded in for the real thing. It's not a place of condemnation. This is a place where we come to get changed. That's good news. Okay, so here are the two stories, and then we'll unpack that a little bit, and we'll get to the six checkpoints, and then we'll send you home. Okay, ready? Here we go. Jesus said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It's like a grain of a mustard seed, little tiny seed, little tiny seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. He planted it and it grew and it became a tree, right? That's beautiful. And the birds of the air made nests in its branches. Not so beautiful. Let me explain why. Here you have the unstoppable kingdom. 
You have the unstoppable kingdom, the power of the seed of the gospel. When it is planted in your heart, when it is planted in mine and it finds good soil, it grows and it blows up and it becomes something unstoppably beautiful in your life, in your family, in your community, in your church. It just grows. And and from the time that he spoke this to now, hundreds and hundreds of millions of people have found life in this life and ever increasing life forever in him. That's a beautiful thing. Now, when you and I, right, we receive the seed of the gospel in our hearts, We become part of the tree, right? And he is the vine and we are the branches and we're connected. But then there's birds. The birds are not part of the tree. They're just visiting the tree. They're hanging out on the tree. They are eating off the tree and doing what birds do when they hang out on trees and eat things off trees. You following me? They're not part of the tree. They're just kind of glommed on. And this, we let Scripture interpret Scripture. Okay? That's the way that, that you and I have to understand what it means. And we've seen seeds and birds before in Jesus' story. You may remember in our walk through the Gospel of Luke, back in Luke chapter 8, Jesus said a sower went to sow some seed. Right? And some of the seed fell on the path. Where God trampled and what? The birds of the air came and ate it before it had chance to root. And then later on in that same chapter, he explains that the birds represent evil. The evil one who has come and, and removed the seed that was sown before it could take root. Okay. Is that saying birds are evil? No, this is symbolic, right? Love birds, love birds. But what he's saying is birds in the tree. The tree is great. The birds, not so much. The the birds, not so much. There's counterfeit mixed in with the real. Jesus goes on and tells another story. And again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It's like leaven. That's yeast. I don't know that we use the word leaven much. And, And a woman took and hid. Do you see that word hid? hid in three measures of flour, this yeast, until it was all leavened. It spread throughout the whole thing. So, so now we had a man sowing seed. We have a woman hiding leaven. Now, Jesus is an equal opportunity guy, right? So if you're a woman, here's your, here's your thing, right? But she had, she's cooking for an army because three measures of flour, you know how much that is? That's 144 cups. One thing we know, she is not on a low-carb diet, right? So she got 144 cups of, uh, of flour, and what does she do? She hides, hides. That means you put it in when nobody else is looking. Yeast in the, in the measure of flour. And it spreads throughout the whole thing. Now, you and I don't think or talk much about yeast, but the Jews who were part of Jesus' original... They would know yeast. Yeast had huge implications, huge spiritual symbolism, right? And again, it's symbolism. I'm not asking you to go throw out your bread and buy pita, right? Or you you can if you like, but we serve donuts here. There's yeast in those. It's symbolic. You track it with me? 
in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, almost exclusively, almost exclusively, yeast is symbolic of sin. I want you to track with this. When, when Jesus came and Jesus suffered, Jesus died on the cross for our sins as our substitute in our place on the Passover. The Jewish feast of Passover, which is when a, a family would sacrifice a lamb to cover their sins for the year. And this is the holy lamb of God sacrificing himself for the sins of the entire world for all eternity. Right? So no more sacrifice needed. He does that on Passover. Three days later, Jesus rises back to life. You know what feast that is? On the feast of unleavened bread. Right? That Jesus rises. The bread of life needs no help in rising. It is in him to rise. And so yeast, again and again, is used as a, a rising agent other than Jesus, often pointing to our own self-righteousness that doesn't need his righteousness to rise. Jesus uh, said in this, here, look, he said, watch and beware of the leaven of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They're teaching. It will, it will infect you. It will create counterfeit among the real, right? And this is very consistent with some of Jesus' other stories. And we want to use scripture to interpret scripture. Matthew 25, Jesus says there will be goats mixed in with the sheep, right? There will be people who belong to him mixed in with people who do not belong to him. And he will sort them out when he comes. And he will receive and welcome the sheep who have received and welcomed him. And he will turn away the goats who have turned away from him and refused to receive his, his gift of grace. Right? So there's sheep and goats mixed in. In Matthew 13, Jesus tells a story which brings this whole thing into focus. He said, Again, this is an agrarian culture, so he used seeds a lot because they can relate to it. He said it's a man owned a field, and he spread seed, wheat seed, throughout the whole field. And he was happy, and he went to bed. But as he was sleeping, an enemy came and spread weed seed throughout the whole field. And nobody knew, right? But the workers of his field, when, when the crops started to grow and started to uh, bear fruit and, and flower, right? They saw that there was as much weed in there as there was wheat. And you, you couldn't, they were growing right next to one another. So they went to the landowner and said, what do we do? Do you want us to weed the field and pull them up? He said, no, 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 don't do that. If you do that, there's a chance that even one stalk of precious wheat would be lost. Let them grow up together. And when I come back, I will sort it out and I will gather the wheat and I'll do away with the weeds. And so there's counterfeit and there's real. And this is not here to condemn anybody. It's just for us to evaluate, right? And trade in the parts of our hearts, maybe all that have been hanging on to faith that is not genuine, that's Counterfeit, and that's what we want to do, right? They're mixed together. Goats with sheep, birds in the tree, the yeast in the dough, 
the weeds and the wheat. Tom, are you saying that the kingdom of God is broken? No, but that you and I are in the kingdom of God and we are broken. Okay, that's what I'm saying. Some of us don't. I mean, if we're honest, we don't have lives. We don't have hearts that worship the king. And we want to know if we're in the kingdom. And, 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 and we, have to do, we have to do some examination of ourselves in that. Am I saying that the big C church, the universal church, is somehow broken? Yeah, yeah, of course it is. Of course it is. God is the perfect one. His people are being made perfect, right? He will present us without spot or blemish in his blood, in his grace. But right now we're in process, right? We're not there. If you doubt this, go to Revelation chapter two, chapter three, read the letters that Jesus wrote to the seven churches. You're going to be amazed at what a hot mess they are, right? And they made it in the Bible, Ain't nobody writing books about this church, right? We're a hot mess. Let's just be honest. Let's just be honest. The churches that claim to be perfect exalt themselves and set themselves up to fall, right? And they become tabloid headlines and talk show punchlines. And that's not what you and I want to be, not as a church and not as people, We want to be humble. That should drive us to the point where we have a spirit always of consistent humility and repentance and grace. There but for the grace of God go I. Yeah. Man, we're all victims of the same disease, different symptoms. Don't look down on nobody. We're just pointing to the doctor. We're just pointing to the Savior. And we're walking there. And those of us who've been infected with his grace and saved and forgiven, in a practical, in a legal sense, we're spotless. In a practical sense, we're getting there. Let's not mistake the two. And let's just be straight. And you need to know, I wrote this before I I, I knew who was going to be here or, or had anything. Look, unless your mom gave birth to you under this roof, you went somewhere else before you came here, right? Now, if you're like me, because I've, I've, been, I've been in different churches, right? Um, something happened. Something happened there when you say, I'm done with this, right? I'm done with this. And I'm not denying that where you were before, um, 10 years, 20 years, one year ago, whatever it is, that those people were broken. I just want to be honest with you. You trading the broken people there for the broken people here, right? God is the only perfect one. And I'm the chief among the broken. We are all the island of misfit toys, right? You just choose your flavor. We got one God. We got one perfection. That's Jesus Christ. And he is making all who come to him wash clean. And he's making us without spot or blemish in time. And in the meantime, what we need What we need is a lot of grace, a lot of humility, and a lot of repentance, and a ton of love. That's what he's given us. We can give that to each other. Okay, but people who don't understand what Jesus is all about, people who don't understand, whoops, 
don't understand the gospel deeply. And we want to get deep into the gospel, saturated in the gospel. Like you and me and this leader in the synagogue, even though we hang around church things, we can miss this. And we can have parts of all of our lives and our faith that are counterfeit. So here we go. How to tell if your faith is counterfeit. We've got six ways. We're going to go through them. Then I'm going to send you home. But we're going to change before we leave, okay? Because Jesus changed us. Number one, if you're like the, the owner of the, the leader of the synagogue, we talked a little bit about this last week. You love your pets more than you love hurting people. Now, I worded that wrong because it sounds like you should love hurting people. No, I don't, I don't want you to love hurting. I want you to love people who are hurting. You, you tracking with me? I want you to smack the guy at the, at, you know, at the store that my pastor said. I will deny it. You love your pets more than you love hurting people. Jesus said, look, if your animal is hungry or thirsty on the Sabbath, aren't you going to untie it? And lead it to food and water, right? Why don't you love this woman who's been tied up by Satan for 18 years? It's good enough for them. It's not good enough for her. I know we love our pets. My goodness, we live in Colorado, right? I mean, I I have been converted. About 15 years ago, we had a little dog named Roscoe. Roscoe, you remember Roscoe Quince? Do you remember me making you cry unintentionally when I told you that I didn't think Roscoe was a Christian? Yeah. No, it was meant to be funny. I think I was trying to justify not getting Roscoe a Christmas present, but it shattered my girl. She's weeping. Oh, no. Oh, no, Roscoe. You can't say that, Dad. You believe in Jesus, don't you, boy? Oh, broke my arm. My wife smacked me in the arm. She goes, stop it. And I stopped it. Anyways, it wasn't meant to make her cry, but really her concern was beautiful, right? And now, now we have a two-pound dog. I have had sandwiches bigger than this dog. It's nine, ten years old. It's not getting any bigger. Her name is Quiche. And we often drive Quiche with us to Denver when I'm working over there. And uh, she rides in the open compartment between the two front seats. And this dog doesn't know what to do with that kind of square footage. I tell you, that's huge. And that's not good enough. They have that like blown in like fuzz on the coat. No, no. You know those thick towels that you use to dry the car that you can only buy at O'Reilly's. They're as thick as your hand, right? That's what Shree puts down for quiche is the bedding, right? So she's about every 17 miles. Yes, I clocked it. Shree will say, quiche seems thirsty. Can you please get her some water? Which I do Husbands, when your wife asks you something, do it. Joyful servant, right? By the time we get to the gas station, Keys is about to burst. She's had more fluids. She's as swollen as a tick. Right? But Sheree loves this dog and cares about how she's feeling. And I am not picking on my wife. I am not picking on my daughter. This is for all of us. Jesus is saying, you care about the animals in your life. 
when they're thirsty, when they're hungry. How much do you care about the people that I died for in this community who are thirsty and hungry? You see your, your pet has a need and you hurt for them and you do something about it. How much do I, how much do you care for the people in our community? Do we ache? Do we cry? Do we pray? Do we serve? Do we do something about it? This is something that I got to bring and say, hey, this is not what I say I believe, but that's what you're about, Jesus. I got to trade that in. Maybe you're there too. I just want to say, like we said last week, Jesus isn't calling us to love our pets less. No, he's calling to love people more. We live in a town with 10 churches. What, two animal shows? Right? They, the things that you and I say don't line up with our actions. Right? Because here's the, here's the truth. What you and I believe is not what we say we believe. It's what we do. It's what we do. And let me just say that for many of us, um, we believe in God, but we find our pleasure apart from him. We believe in God. We find our deepest pleasure apart from him. Psalm's very clear. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So there might be a disconnect there. There might be a disconnect. Your faith might be counterfeit. If like the ruler of the synagogue who thought he was doing his job by turning people away from Jesus, your faith, my faith might be counterfeit. If you think you can serve God without serving needy people. This goes back to the first one because he talks a lot about that. And Jesus says, you can't. You can't serve me without serving the people that I most want to bless. You just can't. He said, and the king will answer them. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it for me. And as much as you haven't done it to the least of these, you, you haven't done it unto me. Look, this is, this is something that is pressing on my heart. And that's why we're taking the direction that we are. Um, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Oh, last week. About, about being more intentional. About being outward focused and looking intentionally. And, and doing radically and loving in a costly way. Those who are least. Because you and I only serve God or don't. To the degree that we serve and love and bless those who are hurting, rejected, or ostracized, or burdened, whatever that looks like. So press, let that press in on you as it does on me. All right, let's move on. Your faith, my faith might be counterfeit. If like the Pharisees, externals matter more to you than internals. Externals matter more to you than internals. If you do an inventory of your life, your time, your focus, your money, your, your passion, it's more focused on how you look, how your business looks, how your bottom line looks, how your house looks, how your fill in the blank looks. 
than whether or not daily the gospel, God's word, his spirit is pressing on you and changing you and excavating and chipping away that which is not of him. It's transforming your heart so that you can be used to transform and bless, change the world. This is so easy. This is so easy for you and for me in in a place, in a country, at a time in history when we have so much to let our focus drift from internals to externals. When Jesus is always pressing in to the internals of a heart, the way that things appear is not more important than the way that they are. And I think about living in New Orleans when we lived there. I discovered tree grew up there, but I was a transplant from the Northeast. Maybe you picked that up in my in my language. But they have these things called Creole tomatoes. Anybody ever had them? You've been there? You had one? Nobody? Oh, I pray for you. Oh, you would not. Like go buy a farmer's market. You would not, if you did not know what these were, pick one up. Because they are misshapen. They are multicolored, often cracked. They look like they got beat with an ugly stick. They are hideous looking. But inside, oh, they are sweeter than candy and twice as wonderful. Why? Because the internal matters so much more than the external. When God was selecting David as king, the prophet said this, whoops, for the Lord looks, sees, not as man sees, not as woman sees, for for people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And for us to have a genuine and not counterfeit faith, we have to focus on our hearts. And let God press in your time with him every day. And as you breathe thankfulness and praise, and that's heart work. It's letting him work on our hearts so they could spill over and out and into. That's what he wants. He'll always fill more than you can empty. Try it. But that's heart work, right? If like the ruler of the synagogue, you thought Jesus should keep your rules, right? Your faith might be counterfeit. If you want God, a God, you can control. And many of us do. That's why control freaks, if you happen to be one, you're loved, but you're going to have a difficult time with Jesus, right? Why? Because you can't control him, right? <laughs> I mean, God will never do that which is contrary to his nature and character or contrary to his word. will never do that. But within that, he can do whatever he wants, however he wants, whenever he wants. And he often does. And when you have your own universe, you can do the same, but not until then, right? And until then, God does what he wants. And and I'm not making this up. This comes from the Psalms. Our God is in the heavens. He is over all. He does all that he pleases. He does what pleases him. Does that mean that everything that happens pleases him? Absolutely not. Look at me. No. But ultimately what he permits and how long he permits it and his motive for doing that and his ultimate plan to redeem a lost world and save people, anyone who would come to him. That's up to him. And what's usually our biggest beef with God, right? It's when he doesn't do what pleases us. How do I know this? Because I've said that to him, right? 
But, th- but if you've said this to him, you think about this. If God only did what pleased you, you would be God. And looking around here for some of you, that would be pretty terrifying. <laughs> okay, I don't want to live in that world. Why would you want to change him? The more you know him, the more you know how deeply, unchangeably good he is. How full of mercy and love and compassion and truth and justice. Oh, why would we want to change him? Let him change us. That's the answer, right? The way to get God to do what you want. There is a way. We ask him to change our hearts to make what he wants what we want. To make his will become our will. Think about it. You can always get what you want. We have a choice. Thy will be done or my will be done. One is a counterfeit faith. One is real faith. And you and I have the receipt to trade it in. If we want. If we want. Okay. If you have ever thought this, this is the mantra of people who, um, who want to control God. I just don't believe in a God. And this is how you say it. I just don't believe in a God who would blank, right? If that's an expression that you've heard or that you use, this points to the fact that culture and opinions shape faith more than God, his character, and his word do. I just don't believe in a God who blank. Followers of Jesus Christ allow him and his word to shape our opinions, our hearts, our minds, our way of thinking, because the culture will always push against it. Always push against it. If you're going to let culture determine your faith, get ready for it to change all the time. Because it's gonna. We sing the solid rock on which I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. That's it. The follower of Jesus Christ, let his character, his word, determine our mind, our heart, the way we love people who disagree with us, the way we bless them, the way we pray for them. But we don't check with the world to find out what's acceptable and what's not. We just don't. And if you do, then maybe that part of your faith needs to be traded in. I I just, in summary, I, I want you to remember this. A sincere faith in an imaginary God is still a counterfeit faith. Regardless of how sincere you are, if it's a God that we have made of our own making, according to our own preferences, it's still a counterfeit faith. Got one more and then I'm going to let you go. Like the ruler of the synagogue, who was in church every time the doors were open, your faith, my faith might be counterfeit if you come to church but resist coming to Jesus. Now that's a business expression, the come to Jesus meeting. You ever heard of that? It gives coming to Jesus a really bad name because the come to Jesus meeting is when you typically have a meeting with your superiors and you get cut off at the knees and you have your head handed to you and, right, it's not pleasant. they, They like it, not you. Gives coming to Jesus a bad name, a bad name. When he says, I've thrown the doors open wide, anyone can come. 
anyone. Doesn't matter what your rap sheet is. Doesn't matter how guilty you are. The more guilty, the more you need to come. And what do you find when you come? He says, come to me, all you who labor, all who struggle, all who are heavy laden, all who are burdened, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. You come here for compassion. You come here for forgiveness. You come here for love. You come here to be built up. You come here to be raised up. You come to me to be restored. I took all the junk. I took the beating on myself. Not so I could give it to you again, but so that you could be set free. That's what coming to Jesus is. But it requires repentance, which is repulsive to us in our pride. And so many of us like to hang around the church. We just don't like to be broken before him. And so we never get restored. Right? I mean, and that is sad. So Christless religion is as ineffective as it is exhausting. And if you are tired of hauling around your life and your burdens and your worries and your responsibilities and your sin, and then Jesus and coming to him and emptying yourself before him so that you might be filled with is the only way. Right? But many of us check a box, right? We want to come to church. We don't want to come to Jesus. That's for the really broken people. That's for me. That's for me. Because the closer I get to Jesus Christ, the more I realize how bankrupt I am without him. Not the less. Right? That's how Paul could say, man, you want to talk about sinners? I got you all beat. It doesn't matter. Because we got a God who is greater than all our sin. Why would we not come and bow and cry out? I don't know. Maybe we have a faith that is counterfeit in this place. So this is not condemning. If you find your your part of you or all of you or just a piece is the goat amidst the sheep, the bird on the tree, the yeast in the flower, the weed in the weeds, that you're running and running and running to score a goal in the wrong direction. That's not condemning. It is a blessing that God reveals it to us and says, come back. Bring the real and bring the fake and exchange it for me. Because when I died on the cross, I became the hypocrite. I became the false believer. I became the, the idolater. I became everything ugly about you and paid for it. So that you could come with your real self to the real God who's going to make you and your faith real. It's not my faith that I need. It's his faith in me. And that's what you need to. The biggest question you and I face 
It's not only is our faith real or counterfeit. It's what are you going to do? What am I going to do when he reveals that to us? We can either sing a song and go home the same as we came. Or we can take this time and connect with the Jesus who is closer to you than your next breath and say, change me, save me, forgive me, remake me for real. I love you. Let's pray. God, how ironic that someone who struggles in so many of these areas that you would ask to um, to speak on this. And so I, along with all of my friends, Lord, we don't want to be the yeast. We don't want to be the birds. We don't want to be the weeds. We don't want to be the goats, but part of us, and for some of us, all of us, our faith has been looking good on the outside, but it doesn't buy anything. It's not real. And you're all about real. And you're all about redeeming. And so we we come to you right now in our hearts the best way we know how. In humility. And we say, Lord, you came that we might be set free from lies, from fake. Lord, we want real faith that bears real fruit for your real glory and our real joy. You bought us that on the cross and in the empty tomb and with your spirit. And we don't want to let an offer like that go. This is the time of exchange. And we do it in faith, in the name and power of Jesus Christ.